Thank you, worship team. I appreciate everything you guys do. If you will, go ahead and open up your books to um, Haggai. I want to do a brief series on Haggai. I am breaking up the Colossians series, and we're going to start that in January. The, um, with the holiday season and everything coming up, and I looked at it, I said, I don't want to start the series, finish the series of Colossians, and then have to break it up two or three times just to get through it. I'd rather do it all at one time. And so Haggai is a book I know I can get through before all the Christmas stuff and everything that's going to happen. And so if you will, turn to Haggai, Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Now I do have a brief video I want you guys to watch that's going to introduce everything about this book to us. So if you will, go ahead and play it for us. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people were provoked by Haggai's message and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple Solomon built here some 500 years earlier. And so morale was really low for finishing the project. And so Haggai reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and about this temple. He draws from the earlier prophets, especially Isaiah and Micah, about the new Jerusalem and that it would be the place from which God would redeem the whole world and where all nations would come and participate in God's kingdom, resulting in an era of peace. And so the temple, it plays a key role in God's plans for the future. And Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. 
In the third section, Haggai follows up two months later with a call to covenant faithfulness, and he engages some priests in a conversation about ritual purity. Remember all the key ideas from the book of Leviticus. So he says, if someone goes and touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure or marked by death, and then they go and touch some food, is that food impure too? And the priests, knowing the book of Leviticus, say, yes, it's impure. And then Haggai turns this into a parable. He says, this is how it is with the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves, if they don't turn from injustice and apathy, then Haggai says whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, will be impure too. Haggai's challenge is that it's only by true repentance and covenant faithfulness that their building efforts will result in God bringing his kingdom and blessing. And so in a sense, Israel's future lay in their hands. God's waiting for his people to be faithful. And so the choice that Haggai's laying before the exiled generation, it's very similar to the challenge Moses gave the wilderness generation before entering the land. Their obedience will lead to blessing and success while faithlessness will lead to ruin. The book concludes with Haggai's summary of the future hope of God's kingdom. He's going to make the new Jerusalem the center of his glorious international kingdom. And from there, he will confront and defeat evil among the nations. He reminds people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God will fulfill here his promise to David and establish the king from his line. And in Haggai's day, that was represented by Zerubbabel. And so the book ends with the choice of a bright future just hanging there. So the question is, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? And Zerubbabel, will he be faithful? Will he turn out to be the messianic king? And you have to just keep reading into the final two books of the prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, to find out. But you can see how this little book contains a great challenge to every generation of God's people, that our choices really matter, and that the faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work out his purposes in the world. And so this surprising truth should motivate humility and action in God's people as they look forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. Thank you. I really um, enjoy those videos. Those are from the Bible Project, and they actually have a summary on every single book in the Bible. So if you're ever interested, go look up the Bible Project, go look them up on YouTube, go look them up on their webpage, and they'll take you to these videos if you want to learn more about any individual book of the Bible. And they'll give you a brief overview in a cartoon format like that. So as you go to Haggai, let's just read chapter, uh, read verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shittiel, and governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoiazadak, the high priest. And so this prophet, he comes around in 520, 520 B.C. telling the people that God's kingdom, God's temple, needs to be built. Now, there's a problem. It's the second year of King Darius. It says that, that in his second year, which is 520 B.C., that, that, that Haggai started doing this. And he takes this message to the king and to the high priest. Not to the people at first, but to the king and to the high priest. And he says that, that there is a problem, and he's going to list the problem in a few moments. But you can summarize it up with this. 
is that there has been a delay in the obedience of the people. Now, they were told, and I'll, I'll show it to you. Let me, let me see if I'm there where I want to be yet. And I'll show it to you in a few moments. We're going to turn to Ezra. So if you want to in your Bible right now, write down Ezra 1, 1 to 4. We will, we will hit that in a few moments. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. But that coincides with what we're about to read in a few moments. So this prophet, he is mad. He's upset that the people have been squandering and have been living life on their terms, not doing what they were commanded to do and told to do. And so he goes to this, the, 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 the ruling officials and says, something has to be done. Something needs to be done because we have a big problem and I'm tired of watching it. I'm upset and I've been waiting for 16 years. I mean, just put yourself in his position. You're a man of God. God's temple was called to be rebuilt 16 years ago. They cleared part of the temple up and started building the foundations, but the people stopped in the middle of it and started attending to their own affairs, their own lives, knowing that they can't really worship God until that temple's built that they can't honor God the way he needs to be honored, how would you feel? Or he's ticked off. He's mad. And he's upset with the people. And that's the stage that he gives you as he comes forward in this. And so verses 2 to 4, there's, a, there's something I want to point out. It says the people had a problem prioritizing their comfort over God's temple. The people had a problem prioritizing their comfort over God's people. Verses 2 to 4 says this. And we'll, I'll read Ezra in a second. He says, The Lord of armies says this. These people say, The time has not come for my house to, uh, the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. That's funny. The time hasn't come. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, and think carefully about your ways. I'll stop right there because I'll be getting into the next section. Now Ezra 1 to 4, that's what I told you to think about. It says this. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus. Now that was the previous king of Persia. And this was at least 16 years before this. King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom. And to put it in writing, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Let me see the next verses. Three and four, it should be there. Do you have it? And he says, any, and, and any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assigned by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with a free will offering for the house of God in 
Jerusalem. That's when the people started working on the temple. And for 16 years, not much has happened. They came home to Jerusalem. They started listening to outside voices. They stopped working on this temple. And they started prioritizing things in their life. And you know what became first? Me. Me. Me became first. God didn't become first. I became first. And we're going to see it unfold. So postponed obedience is a consistent condition of the sinful human heart. Postponed obedience is a condition of sin. Postponed obedience is a condition of sin because it reveals to us our priorities. It reveals to us what we want to do, what, who we serve, and also reveals to us what we think about what God actually says. You know, they, he asks a question. He says, is it, the people say, the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And that is true. What they said is true. It wasn't time. It was past time. Far past time. And so he goes on, and we see that people chose comfort over obedience is a sign of a misplaced priority. Three and four, I already read three, so let's go into four. It is a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses. I believe I read it already. And in the, then while the house of God lies in ruins. Take care of yourself. Take care of all your own needs. Make sure your house is all fine and dandy. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. They're making sure that their paneled houses were in good shape. They're taking care of everything of themselves. They forgot what God's house was doing. Lying in shambles. Lying in ruins. Waiting for them to come and finish it. And when I think about it, I think about Luke 10, 38 to 42. Martha and Mary. You've heard me share this story before. This is where I told Mary, uh, Martha to slow her roll. You know, Martha is sitting here in this picture. And she is doing all sorts of things in the house. Preparing the meal for Jesus. And Mary is sitting there by his feet. Martha's preparing the meal. Make sure I got that right. And, and so she comes out to Jesus and is like, I'm doing all this work. And he tells her, Mary's doing the good thing. She is worshiping me and spending time with me. And you're busy about doing all sorts of stuff that I don't know what. I know you're preparing a meal and that's fine and dandy, but there are more important things to happen. And I feel like sometimes we in our lives do this to God. We prioritize our own life over God. You see the connection here. We prioritize our own lives, our own houses, if you will, over God's house. And not just saying this is God's house, but but God's will, God's purpose in our lives. You know, I really like sports. 
And I played ball all my life growing up. There's nothing I wouldn't do to have played baseball, softball for when I got older, football. I, I would be out every week doing it. But as I've gotten into the churches and I've seen something, I've, you know, we didn't have travel ball when I was growing up. But I've seen that these students in um, a lot of these places, like when I was in South Carolina, we always had one of these guys off every Sunday playing travel ball. Never at church, sometimes on Wednesday night. Now, he's a great kid. But there's a problem with that. Travel ball became his God. Travel ball became his parents' God because they had to drive him there. You see how things work? We prioritize and we put things first, and that becomes our God. The paneled houses became their God. By God's house is still in ruins. You know, it's not just that. You know, I think about a lot of things. Camping is great. I love going out and visiting people with nice campers. But if you do it every weekend, that's your God. If you do it all the time, that's your God. And you can put anything there. You can put anything you want. But anything that we put as a priority over God is our God. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, now, Pastor, you're not saying, you know, we have to be at church every Sunday, are you? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to tell you you have to be at church every Sunday. But I will tell you this, if you consistently miss church, you're wrong. And I think you're sinning. And I'm going to show you. Hebrews, write this down. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as, a day, as you see the day approaching. We are called to spend time together to encourage one another. Now, if you can go out three out of four Sundays doing whatever you want and come once a month and say, I'm good with that, it might be a problem. There could be a problem somewhere. Because God's Word says you should meet together to encourage each other. You come here to worship corporately. And that's why we come. Because we worship as a spiritual as a spiritual discipline, corporately together. You hear God's Word taught, you meet in Sunday school classes, you can meet during the week. But the gathering together was a sign that these believers would, would, would spend time together worshiping God. Now, if you can do that only once a month, there's a problem. It might be what you see here with these people. So let's move on. 5 to 11, that guy says this. He says, verse 5 to 6, he says, Now the Lord of the army says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little you eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag, 
with a hole in it. You know, ignoring God's temple led to a lack of flourishing by these people. And when we read these verses, a lot of you are farmers. You should understand what he's saying. You, care, you, you planted much, but harvested little. What he's saying is, your people have been doing your own business for a while. But now, as you start planting, you start living your life, you eat, you drink, you're finding there's a problem. I'm not supplying the needs for you like I used to. And I'm not doing it because you're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not being obedient to me. There is a connection between obedience to God and him blessing you. So this is a reflecting on the lack of, of their flourishing and it points them to God's displeasure for them. If you look in your life and you look and you say, man, there's just not a blessing in my life. I, I count everything up, there's never enough money. I count everything up, I'm always getting sick. I count everything up, all the stuff I planted just turned to mush out there. You might have a problem with God. And so he says, we're going to see Turn back to him. You see, everything we do in life has a consequence and an action. An action and a consequence. Verses 7 to 11, he talks about repenting will be the point that brings him back to God's pleasure. And here he says, thus says the Lord. Thus, the Lord of the army says this. Think carefully about your way. And this is the second time he says this. Think carefully about your way. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. And I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew, the land is crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills and on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever your ground yields on man and animal and on all that your hands produce. I don't like to um, always say that you know, I, I don't want to say that everything's happening in your life is because you're being punished. Because it's not. Sometimes life happens. But if you see the stuff happening consistently, you need to check out your life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ is not first in your life, and you see this stuff, and, and, and you, can, you know what's going on because it's where you put your time, it's where you put your money, it's where you spend your days, it's, it's what you use your talents for, if those things don't add up to a majority of it or a portion of it being dedicated to God, then your priorities are out of whack. You are just miserably failing God, and your priorities are wrong. And that's what happened to these guys. My, and, and, and it happens to me. You know, I, I think about times in my life when my priorities were wrong and God took a back seat. And it, it's not fun. I've seen things happen in my life that 
man, if God was just first at this particular moment in time, this wouldn't have happened. And it did, and I learned from it. Things happen in your life so that God can get your attention to show you that, hey, I'm not first. I'm not what I need to be in your life. You know, God is a God of action, is a God of, of reaction. You know, we react to him. Repenting to, will point people to God's good pleasure. And we see that here when he says, think carefully about your ways. Think about what your people are doing. And he's, he's addressing the leaders here. But he says, think carefully about what you do. Build the house so that I'll be pleased. Build the house so that I'll be pleased. You expected much, and it didn't show up because I caused a drought. I ruined it. Every single thing you have right now can be ruined in just like that. Every single thing you have. And you know who's in charge of all that? One person said it. God. God is in charge of it all. He says, I own a cattle on a thousand hill. I own everything. Everything you have in your life right now is attributed to God. Everything you lack can also be attributed to God. Now, he rewards those that seek him. You want to make sure you get out a good harvest? You better put God first. You want to make sure things are going right in your life? You better put God first. You want to make sure your business is going to thrive? And there's no guarantee it's ever going to thrive. But you know one principle that you can do? Put God first. And he will bless you. It's as simple as that. He will bless you. You know, all, our action, all of our actions have consequences. A couple weeks ago, K-Drive, there was an accident. A car hit another car head on. Right there on M66. And what happened was, one of the individuals was, from what I understood, based on the readings in the paper, one of the individuals had started texting on their phone and lost, you know, sight of what was going on. Crossed the middle lane and hit somebody head on. As of right now, I don't know if anybody died in that. I knew no people were airlifted, but I don't believe anybody died. But there are some people seriously hurt. Your consequences, your actions demand a consequence every single day. And right there, that particular day, that action of texting had a consequence. I think about a couple of weeks ago. I was coming home from a funeral home on M66 as well. You got some crazy drivers up here. <laughs> I, it, 66 is dangerous, I'm telling you. I was out there coming back from, from the funeral home, driving. As I'm driving, I see an SUV in front of me, an Explorer, and then I see a truck ahead of it. And as I'm driving... This SUV is not slowing down, but that truck's brake, the brake light on the trucks are hit, and he's got an indicator turning. Left. Now, I'm going this way, and he's going left, and the SUV in front of me either did not see it or didn't want to stop and decides, I'm going to go in the emergency lane, and I'm just going around him and passing. Well, he, somebody needs to check out his driver's license or something because 
he not only went in the emergency lane, he went off-roading. And as he went off-roading, he came back over on the other side of the road, crossed the street, almost hit somebody. And then, you know, if you go down there today, you probably still see the big old tracks on the right-hand side if you're heading north to Battle Creek. Car stuck up in there. The SUV stuck in there. I pull over and I looked at him. You okay? He needs something? You may call somebody. The guy stopped. Do you need some help with glasses? His, tr his SUV's windows busted all out. There might not have been too many consequences, but he's got body damage. All because you're not paying attention to what's going on in front of you. Every action has a consequence. And it is no different with God. Every single act you do in your life, every sin you commit in your life, even just by not doing what God says, like building a building, building that church, temple, coming to church consistently has consequences. It has a consequence. Pay now, pay later. But it has a consequence. Some people are like, never happens to me. I'll never see the day. It won't happen. I promise you, it will happen. It always happens because God's word is clear. God is faithful and just to deliver on his promises. And everything will be made and settled for an account one day. So your actions have consequences. Think about saving. If you save your money up and you don't spend it, there's going to be an emergency that comes in, at some time in your life. It always happens. There's always an emergency that's going to happen. And if you save your money and not spend it all, when that emergency happens, what's going to happen? You will have money to get you through that emergency. But if you spend it, constantly spend it, and don't have any saved up, when that emergency happens, you know what you're going to end up doing? Going in debt to pay for that emergency. All you had to do was do something now. All you had to do was make a decision today to do the right thing. And, and that's what God is saying with these people. Stop delaying being obedient to me. Because all the things you have in your life right now are just withering away, and I'm the cause of it. You're not obedient to me. You haven't been obedient to me for 16 years. And because of that, you see what's going on in your life. Repent and turn back to me so that I can make it all better. So that you can experience my boundless and overflowing abundancy. As I look at this, there's, two th there's a couple things you can take with you. The first is this. It is a delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience to God is still disobedience. Choose to obey God immediately. Choose to obey him today, if that's the case. Choose to obey him today. The second thing I see is, is that, that God wants to restore you. He wants to restore you if you will repent. If you call out to him, say, I'm sorry, God. God, I'm sorry I let 
this disobedience go on for so long. I'm turning to you now, and I will fully repent. And we know what happens because you saw the story, and you'll see it later on. These people rebuilt that temple. Do you know how long it took them to rebuild the temple? Four years. Sixteen years, they should have had it done, started on it, working on it. They get it done in four years because they are motivated to be obedient to God. Nothing like God to motivate you. It only requires repenting and turning. And that's the message for you today. Some of you are sitting here. You have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the answer for you is simple. Come to him. Repent of how you've been living your life. And, and I'll talk more with you about that. Others of you, 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 you've got your life is in shambles right now. And you want to know what the answer is. Well, it could be that God's not first. Why don't we make that a priority this morning? putting God first. And then there's others of you, you're, you're being disobedient to God, you've been disobedient to God, and you haven't had your consequences yet. I'm telling you, they're coming. Don't delay. Turn back to Him today. Put Him first. Let Him be first in your life so that maybe you will be spared of those consequences. And those are your things to take away. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Haggai. Thank you for his desire to have this temple built so that people could come and worship you. And that by not building it, they were saying they were disobedient. And that they didn't care about you anymore, God, because they didn't really need you. And Haggai points this out. You need God a whole lot more than you think you do. And so, Father, there's people in here this morning that have never come to know you. I pray that they'll come forward this morning, take my hand, and I can explain to them how to be a believer. And then the others out here, Father, I pray that they'll come forward and they will give their life to you again, signifying that you are first in their life and that you will become a priority to them. And for those that have they're sitting out here that are doing great. I pray that they'll continue to put you first. And then those that are out here that just, they don't think anything's ever going to happen with them. Father, I pray and thank you for withholding those consequences right now. But I pray that they too will come to the knowledge that you, at any point in time, can come and bring down those consequences on their life that, that, that only you can do because they haven't put you first with everything they've got. We ask and pray that you will work now in hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you want to, you can come forward. The altars are open. I'm up here. I'll be standing. If you will, stand. And if you need to get right with God, come up here. If you need to talk to me about salvation, come up here. And if you just want to come and pray for somebody.